call us by name. You call us out of where we are. You call us out of, of death and you call us into life. You call us out of night and out of darkness and into your glorious day and into your light. And we pray that as we, we continue uh, with this service that you would do just that in the words that are spoken as they, they transmit over the, the airwaves, that you would bring people out of darkness, out of death, out of despair, out of despondency, you would bring them into life, into light, into the day, into your glorious day. We thank you for, for everything you've done in our lives, for all you continue to do in our lives, and for all you will do in our lives. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. We're going to move uh, into our, our message part of the the morning and uh, what we want to do for the next few weeks we've been praying about what direction we go in after Easter and what we want to do is, is continue with this uh, story um, but actually now go beyond the cross we you'll know that over the last few weeks we've, we've taken our, our message series and we've, we titled it journey to the cross where we focused on the events of Jesus last week as he has he journeyed towards the cross and then last Sunday we looked at the resurrection how Jesus went beyond the cross to the tomb and then burst out of the tomb broke out of the tomb into new life and we just thought it would be good as a church just to continue that story continue that narrative of Jesus and look at some of the resurrection appearances that Jesus made uh, to the early church and over the next couple of weeks we're going to follow that story of the early church and we're actually going to go right up to Pentecost so we're going to continue this journey right the way up to Pentecost looking at the birth of the Holy Church and we'll start today by looking at one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles I'd love you to turn with me to John chapter 21. It's the very very last uh, chapter in John just before Acts starts and John 21 verse 1 starts like this. Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he'd stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish and the net hadn't torn. Now come and have breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. 
So in this story we have seven disciples, five are named, two are not, so we assume they're not part of the original twelve. Remember we're down to eleven disciples by this point. And this is kind of an extra story that John adds in at the end of his gospel and it it appears that the disciples have made their way to Galilee and and it looks like they're just waiting around. They're they're doing nothing but why are they in Galilee and not in Jerusalem where everything seemed to be happening? Jerusalem was the hotbed of, of the whole previous week and suddenly these disciples are doing nothing in Galilee. Well actually in Matthew 28 we get the other side to this story where Jesus tells the disciples to go to Galilee and wait and, and Jesus would meet them there. And, and Peter and his disciples, they've seen the resurrected Jesus. They've spoken with him. They've touched him. They've eaten with him. And now all they have to do is go to Galilee and wait. And so the disciples have gone to Galilee and they're waiting for Jesus. But to this point, we, we can make the assumption nothing's happened. We can make the assumption at this point Jesus hasn't appeared because some of the disciples aren't even there. They're they're not present in this narrative. Maybe they've gone into the town to find food. Maybe, as it's late, as we'll we'll discover in a moment, maybe they've just gone to bed. Maybe they've gone to get um, an early night. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And people criticise Peter for for saying this. You know, know, Jesus says to Peter, you'll no longer be a fisher of fish. I'll make you a fisher of men. And, And I do wonder if maybe Peter just couldn't sleep. Maybe Peter's mind was, was buzzing with, with the events of the last week. Maybe Peter just needed to pass the time. But whatever Peter's motivation, why he went fishing, I, I couldn't tell you. But what is obvious in this is Peter goes back to something he knows. Peter goes back to his old life. Fishing is what Peter had done before. This is what he succeeded at. He had a successful fishing business. He had partners. He had boats. This is what Peter was good at. And he goes back to what he's been doing before Jesus had come along, before Jesus came along and turned his world upside down. Peter went back to doing something that he knew he could do well, that he knew he could succeed at. Because actually so often when we feel like we failed, as Peter no doubt did, when we feel like we failed, when we feel like it's all gone wrong, when we feel like everything's fallen apart what we do is we go back to what we were good at we go back to what we were doing before we go back to where we're comfortable we go back to what we feel we do well because we're never attracted to the to going back to the things we failed at who remembers learning to ride a bike the first moment those stabilizers come off and and you just fall but it takes a lot to get back on the bike. You're never attracted to it, but you know you've got to keep doing it to get to keep going, get that practice in and get the balance and, and get it right. But that first time you fall, you don't want to go near the bike. And this is what Peter's doing. He goes back to what he knows. He goes back to fishing. He goes back and puts his stabilizers back on. Um, but But Peter's still got this hope because if he didn't have this hope, he wouldn't be where Jesus asked him to be he wouldn't have gone to Galilee so so Peter even though he's gone back to what he knows he's gone back to the place Jesus wants him he's just gone where he feels most comfortable yes he's in Galilee but he's by the sea he's by the water he's in his domain if you like and maybe he's still feeling guilty 
he probably is. Maybe he feels ashamed. Maybe he feels unworthy to be a part of this new movement that is, that is about to spring up. But Peter goes to Galilee and he goes to where he's most comfortable to do what he does best. And they would have fished at night. Uh, fishing in, in those times took place at night. They, what they would do is they would light a, a lamp in, in the boat and the fish would be attracted to the light and drawn into the net and they would, they would reel them up. And the, the text says that they caught nothing all night. And, and it poses a question, what do you do when the thing you do well doesn't work? What do you do when the thing you are good at, the thing you are successful in, the thing you, you've made a reputation for being good at, suddenly doesn't work? And can you imagine how embarrassing this would have been for Peter? He takes the disciples out on the water to do what he is an expert at. The other disciples don't say, I'm going fishing. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples just think, well, I'll come too. You're good at this. You know what you're doing. We'll follow your lead. We're just here for the experience, here for the ride, here for the fish. And, and he goes out to do what he does for a living, to do what he's trained at, to do what he's proficient at. And, and an hour in, no fish. And he could say, well, maybe it's just a quiet start. Maybe the fish are the other end of the lake. They'll soon come in. Three hours in and the disciples are starting to look at each other. Five hours in. And surely the disciples are saying, hang on, you're meant to be good at this. This is meant to be your thing. And he pulls in nothing. And after a long, hard night, he's maybe worked harder than he's ever worked before. He pulls in nothing. He's got less to show for it than he's ever had. Now, fishermen catch fish. This is what they do. This is what they rely on this is what they survive on we watched a, a, a really good film over the weekend called fisherman's friends which you may have seen um, and it's about this the group of fishermen who are singing fishermen and you can still if you go down to St Ives you can see them every Friday and they still sing as a group and they get snapped up by this record company but the, the, in the initial stage of the film they say listen this is our livelihood fish is our livelihood fish is what sustains us and, and they didn't want to jeopardize that and, and here we have in the bible these fishermen or this fisherman Peter who's caught nothing so you know he's got nothing to sell the reason they, they fished late at night was so that the fish was fresh to take to the market in the morning. The morning comes, Peter's got no fish, he's got nothing to sell. For that day, he's got no source of income and no way of, of getting any, any food. So they had no income and nothing to eat because they didn't catch any fish. And yet we've got a saying as, as, as Christians that God opens doors um, but I, I believe that God closes doors I think sometimes God will close a door to make us realize which doors are open and that night I think this is a significant moment in Peter's life where God closes a door on something in his life to show him a new direction to show him a new path from this moment Peter can't go back he can't go back to his old life. He can't go back to, to what he was doing before. He can stress and he can worry and he can fret, but he can't go back. There was a calling on Peter's life that he didn't realise, but, but it meant his old life was already over. There was more for Peter outside of the boat. 
He just didn't know it yet. And what Peter needed was he needed God to get him out of the boat to discover that new life. And from the shore, there's this shout, have you caught anything? And the Greek says that Jesus uses the word children. Um, but it's more probable and it's more accurate to say that Jesus was saying something like, hey, guys, have you caught anything? And they don't realise it's Jesus. Jesus is about 100 yards away. And I don't know about you, but I would struggle to make out someone 100 yards away, even with my contact lenses in. And it, it, particularly at, at the start of the day when the, when the sun is just rising. So they don't realise it's Jesus. And Jesus says this, cast your net out on the right side of the boat. Now, the right side of the boat was no more than six or seven feet away from the left side of the boat. So what difference was it going to make? And, and I want you to notice this. They don't change the boat. They don't change the net. They don't go to a different sea. They don't uh, throw it in a different way. They don't use a different technique. So the problem wasn't the boat. The problem wasn't the net. The problem wasn't the sea. The problem wasn't the technique. The problem was the direction. For th after three years, Peter goes back to what he can do he goes back to what he's good at and he still thought that, that he could just go and do it himself and the moment Peter swallows his pride follows the voice on the shore even though he's failed before even though he's he's tried all night and caught nothing even though he's tired he's done the same thing all night and it didn't work he follows the voice on the shore and he drops his net and, and, and the text says that on the other side of the boat there were masses of fish there was a huge catch of fish and, and you know sometimes when it feels like it's over when you feel like you failed when you feel like everything's just gone wrong can I suggest you might only be a few feet from your greatest victory that the problem isn't your boat the problem isn't your net the problem isn't even your technique maybe the problem is just your direction can I ask you what you feel God is asking you to do in this season? What is it God is asking you to do differently about the way you do things? Because I think, uh, you know, is he asking you to change the way you do things? And can I encourage you to, to listen to that voice? Because wh whatever you do, whether you've, you've tried and whether you've failed so many times before, God's given you the gifts. He's given you the tools. He's given you the ability to make an incredible difference in the lives of others. And what he wants you to do is make a decision to follow his direction, make a decision to use those gifts and those talents and those abilities. Use them the way God wants you to use them, because when you do, I believe God's got something even greater for you on the other side of that boat. I really do believe that. And, and in that moment, Peter, we have a phrase in our church. We have three phrases. And, and I want to just talk about those three phrases as I go through the rest of the message. But Peter begins in this moment to have his life rebuilt. Peter rediscovers his purpose. He rediscovers that when he uses what God has given him, the way God wants him to use it, then it has an incredible impact, not only on him, but on those around him. Those 153 fish, they, they would have made an incredible impact on the finances of the disciples, on the, on the early church. It would have had an incredible impact on the people around him in, in, in the fact that they caught nothing and suddenly there was this huge haul. Just because Peter chose to use what he had, the way God wanted him to use it. 
And suddenly Peter realises, it's John, it's John that realises it's Jesus and Peter leaps out of the boat. He jumps into the water and, and starts swimming to shore. And I, and I want you to notice this because this is really key after everything I've just talked about. Because Peter does something that is incredible. It, it's remarkable. Peter jumps out of the boat. Now it's Peter that said, I'm going fishing. It's Peter that has fished all night. It's Peter that has used his boats, his nets, his experience, his technique. And, and, he, and he's tried it and he's failed all night. And suddenly he gets this huge miraculous catch. And he jumps in the water. And he leaves it behind. He leaves that huge catch of fish, the thing he's been trying for all night. It, it comes to him. And he leaves it behind. You know, Peter, this is Peter having his hope restored. He's leaving behind everything about his past, leaving behind everything about who he was to, to discover the calling on his life. He won't ever now be dependent on fish to sustain him. He won't be dependent on fish to resource him. Everything he was, all his fears, all his failings, in that moment as he dives into the water, I believe he leaves it behind. He has his hope restored because he knows there's something greater on the shore and so Peter swims to shore and and he gets to Jesus and I love this about the way Jesus works because he gets to the shore and this is what he sees a charcoal fire with fish cooking on it and some bread Jesus comes along and say and invites Peter for breakfast and what's there already cooking fish it was already there. You know, what they'd spent all night fishing for, they'd spent a great amount of effort searching for and toiling for and working for. And even after a miraculous catch, God had it covered. Jesus had it there waiting for him. And can I encourage you, whatever you're working for, whatever you're waiting for, whatever you're believing for, can I promise you God has it covered. God's already arranged the answer. And, you know, we can spend time worrying and stressing and straining uh, for something. But, but I think there's a moment when we look up and we follow the voice on the shore, we realise that God's got it covered. And sometimes it take us, takes us time to look back and realise that God had it covered. But I just want to speak hope uh, into you this morning that God has it covered. But I want you to notice this because John's really intentional about his use of language. The fish are cooking on a charcoal fire. Now, there's only one other time in the whole of John's gospel where a charcoal fire is mentioned. And it's in John 18 that during the trial of Jesus and those of you who did the Bible study with us uh, last week, we looked specifically at the trial of Jesus we looked at how Peter managed to get his way into the the courtyard of the high priest and he goes and warms himself by a charcoal fire and it's at this fire he denies Jesus twice he denies that he even knows Jesus denies he is a follower of Jesus and suddenly Peter finds himself at another charcoal fire now, you couldn't get charcoal around the Sea of Galilee. There would be uh, loads of driftwood and, and driftwood would have been what you've lit, lit a fire with. Um, and I don't know where Jesus got the charcoal from. But what I do know and what I do believe is Jesus does this on purpose. 
you know, if you've ever smelt a barbecue next to a bonfire, there's different smells. The, the charcoal as it burns smells very different to wood and smells make memories. Who's ever gone into somewhere and a smell has hit the, the, the back of your nose and suddenly you're transported to somewhere far away and, and, and years ago, just in that, that small smell. Smells uh, invoke memories and, and I wonder just as Peter smelled the charcoal of that barbecue he's suddenly transported to that moment where he denied Jesus. He's reminded of those, those moments where he denied that he even knew Jesus. And so here's Jesus, the man Peter denied, cooking fish on the same type of fire that, that Peter denied him around. And then Jesus offers that fish to Peter. You know, I think Peter finds his restoration in that moment. And, and in this act, what Jesus is doing, he's replacing that horrible memory of denial. And in, and in Peter's mind, Peter must have been thinking, listen, the last time I was around this fire, I denied I even knew you. I don't deserve to be here. And, and it's almost as if Jesus hands in some food and says, that was then. This is now. Let's eat. Let's have some breakfast together. And, you know, in that moment, I believe that Peter has his heart revived. He's brought back into relationship with Jesus. He's forgiven. He's restored. What, what could have been a constant reminder of his failings becomes a means for his forgiveness. And um, what does that mean for us? Well, one of the biggest lies I think you can believe is that you could have done anything, that God could remove you from from his love that sometimes we believe that we're so bad and so unworthy that that God could never love us we're so far from God because of what we've done and Peter denying Jesus three times publicly was probably the worst thing you could do but Jesus still says come and eat come and have breakfast with me you don't need to bring anything God's already there to forgive you he's there to restore you he's there to speak life into you and whatever it is you're worried about whatever it feel you feel that you've done Jesus says I forgive you and he'll give you a confidence and a hope that in all things in all situations God's got it covered and we always want to be able to offer that invitation why don't you come and eat it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter what type of person you think you are. It doesn't matter that you might feel you've got nothing to bring. All Jesus says is come and eat. We, we talk about the parable of the prodigal son so often and, and what's really key in that parable is the son doesn't need to have a shower before he gets invited into the house. He doesn't need to clean himself up. He doesn't need to bring anything with him. The father runs out to the son and meets him outside of the house and before he has a wash before he has a shower before he's cleaned up the father wraps his arms around him and says hey you're my son you're forgiven and i believe that god says that to all of us i'll clean you up later but for now come and eat we're going to say a quick prayer and we'd love for you to join in that prayer with us that if you want to discover the life Jesus has for you you can start with this really simple prayer so wherever you are would you just uh, bow your head and we'll pray together Lord Jesus I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life please forgive me 
I turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and I could be set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and you offer me the gift of your Holy Spirit. I receive that gift now. Please come into my life to be with me, lead me and guide me forever. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. What we'd love you to do is if you said that prayer, why don't you just send us a message? You can do that privately. You can send us an email. Just say, hey, I prayed that prayer. Would you tell me more? And we'll get touch with you with, with some stuff just to help you on that journey, to help you with those next steps. Or, or you might think, do you know, I'm not quite ready yet. That's fine. That is, that is just as important. We'd love to know if you're in that, that boat and you're not quite ready to jump out yet. Still send us a message to say, hey, I want to be honest. I'm on this journey. I'm not quite ready yet. We'd love to chat to you. We'd love to send you some, some more information. It's just going to help you on those next steps.